welcome to Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 14. In this minute, we give awards for theme ship design, learn how a harem girl dances, and try to figure out what bullion is. Get ready to set sail with Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 14. Cabin Boy Minute 14. This scene starts with Nathaniel sitting in Cappy's bed, commenting that they sure have an eye for detail, don't they? Awards all around. Once again, joined by uh, our co-hosts Robert Lavari and Scott Souls to take in all the beautiful nuggets that are found here in Minute 14. Hello, hello. Hi. So the full scene, we get Kenny and Nathaniel in exchange. Kenny says, I was never real good at figuring stuff out. Captain says, I'm dumb as a carp. Hmm. How smart is a carp? Apparently, carp's pretty smart, at least compared to other fish. I found the same. There are apparently some studies done back in the 70s where they would catch the carps, release them, and then somehow track them, and the carps that went through the catch and release were learning to avoid the hooks, and so were less likely to be caught later on. It seems like, based upon this information and then anglers' experience with the carps, that has led to uh, sort of a groupthink that carps are smarter than your average fish. Yeah, I mean, I found myself looking at these questionable websites that were, you know, <laughs> written by anglers talking about which fish is the smartest and really questioning the quote-unquote research I was reading. But yes, came up with much the same. It appears to be mostly anecdotal. I did find a fairly long thread on carpanglersgroup.com. There was a note on there saying that carp, because of the way their ears are formed, they're hearing specialists, so they have the greatest auditory bandwidth and sensitivity of any fish. Bullshit. <laughs> and as part of that, apparently, carps prefer blues to classical. Music? Yes. Really? Yeah. Carp are considered an invasive species in the United States. They're native to Europe and Asia. Uh, some species can survive for months with practically no oxygen. Again, kind of groupthink is that carp are among the more intelligent fish, as opposed to the bony-eared ass fish, which has the <laughs> smallest brain-to-body weight of all known vertebrates. Bony-eared ass fish. I mean, that's if you rather than saying your daddy's missing a leg. I mean, that that sounds like a much better insult. If your common man, your common fisherman is going to assume a carp is a smart fish. Does the captain actually hold a kind of higher regard for him in terms of his intellectual capabilities than you might guess? I mean, he's, he's saying he's as dumb as a carp. So he's not dumb. Yeah, it's a backhanded compliment type of thing. So if I said you're, a, you're as dumb as Einstein, that would be a compliment? Yeah, like a backwards insult. Unless Perhaps. you had no respect for Einstein. Hack. <laughs> All right, let's go back to this oxygen thing. Is it possible yeah. that if Kenny has a tolerance for low oxygen, he could still be alive? Oh, that's why he comes out of the water. 
Ooh. <laughs> yeah, he is. It's like his spirit animal, carp. I like that. Hmm. Maybe he turned into a carp. <laughs> right, and that's why he's underwater for a long time, and it was not a hallucination after all. He's just hanging out in Hell's Bucket now, just just kicking it. There's something there. All right, so following the carp comment is the great line, here's how a harem girl dances. The transition is seamless. <laughs> <laughs> Before he dances, if you watch his body language, let me think about this. It's his left hand. He's kind of grabbing the bottom of the coat, yeah. kind of nervously fidgeting with it. <laughs> Definitely noted that. Is that kind of artistic touch from Andy as he's you know, just trying to play this interesting character, or was he nervous about doing the dance? I think he was nervous. I would say that he was he really was excited to show Nathaniel the, the dance he was about to do, and, and he got nervous. He was like, I finally get to perform. That's it. Heart is pounding. Yeah. This actually is exactly my philosophical pondering for the day. Oh. This harem girl dance and this little fiddle with the with the bottom of the coat did bring this idea up. So is the reason he's saying this bit about the harem girl dance because it's like it's his way of making small talk. Nathaniel's been talking to him now. He's now more or less Nathaniel's host and... He thinks that it's his duty to continue the conversation with Nathaniel in some way, but does not quite understand the conventions of a normal conversation or some sort of back and forth conversation. So he kind of has this comment or this action sitting in the back of his mind that like he's he wants to engage in conversation and this is how he knows how to do it. This is a little bit of information he has that he's uh, looking to share just to keep the conversation going. He's looking for a connection, maybe, you know, it's it maybe maybe he believes it's it's classy or something that classy people talk about because it's not related to fishing. So he finishes the dance and he has this look of like, did you like it? (laughs) (laughs) Is is he trying to be like like a like a man's man or something? Did he overhear or the other guys like talking about harem girls or there's there's a reason he's saying it. You know, it's it's not in his mind. It's not a random comment. Again, he's trying to relate in some way to Nathaniel. And I think that's the fiddling on the coat. This is probably the most taxing thing he has has likely done in months, trying to engage in conversation with Nathaniel. I think that it's he knows he's not talking. He's clearly not talking to a fisherman. So he's he's got his one little piece of information. And I guess the question to me is, is he simply trying to engage with Nathaniel as a not fisherman? And here's his little bit of not fisherman knowledge. Or is this like his sort of secret little skill in knowledge that he has and he's trying to impress him? Just prior to that, he says, you know, you really have stuff figured out. So he's clearly impressed by Nathaniel. So is he in turn trying to show him like, oh, hey, I know how to do this. Right, like he's bringing the big guns out. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this comment 
he doesn't see that it's a strange thing to say. You know, he, he just thinks that this is person talk, next person talk, and that there doesn't necessarily need to be some sort of connection between the two comments. Just people are talking like he doesn't understand what the hell Nathaniel's talking about anyhow. So it's all just random comments to him. So now he inserts yet another random comment, which seems perfectly natural. How many times has he done this harem girl dance before? And how many times in front of an audience? I have that exact question written down. (laughs) (laughs) Does he usually get a big laugh on this? If he gives this to the filthy whore crew? I feel like they would laugh. I would laugh at this. I would laugh every time consistently. We know that they make Nathaniel dance later on. Right. It could be that they have a long history of torturing their cabin boys by making them dance for them. Yeah, he probably does have to perform this for the crew when they're all liquored up. It's probably good fun for them. So he probably does it monthly, maybe. Does he practice by himself? (laughs) Is he getting better? (laughs) Look, you, you don't start like that. Okay. <laughs> you gotta build I mean, up to it. Clearly, it takes practice. You try. <laughs> so, harem is an Arabic term for a sacred, inviolable place. Mm. This is the place where female members of the family are kept. The idea of a harem, of that our conception may be, and what's your conception of a harem? That it's all women, and it could be, you know, it doesn't have to be the sex slaves exclusively. It could be the guy's mom, it could be his wife, it could be his daughters, everybody, every female member, regardless of uh, position in society, as long as it's close to the guy. Right. So uh, kind of the storyline that I had eked out was that in the West, the idea of a harem is sexualized. And that was a result of what they describe as orientalist imaginary conceptions. So like art, oriental art that depicted harems in this way. And then furthermore, with European colonialization, this idea or conception of a harem as like a sex circle was exploited to make these other cultures seem barbaric. Mm-hmm. And that it was it was used intentionally to keep that uh, divide open and misrepresent actually what it was. And more along the lines of exactly what Scott was just saying, that they're, you know, really just almost sacred places where women are kept to be protected, more or less. See, the dancing style itself is Middle Eastern folk dance that doesn't necessarily have a sexual tone to it. But like you were describing with the harem, the dancing as well was then taken. And because it was exotic and the way it was depicted, it got this sexual and salacious connotation to it did, from a Western you, point of view. Did you find anything different from harem girl dances than belly dances? Are they one and the same? Are they synonymous? Kenny's harem girl dance is his interpretation of a belly dance. And now a belly dance is really kind of more more torso. There's a lot of shoulder that Kenny puts into his harem, <laughs> into his dance. So he's not really following the traditional form. But, you know. <laughs> be, 
being a folk art, it's not really that rigorously defined. So this is just Kenny's fishing boat harem dance. Where did Kenny learn how to do the harem girl dance? Yeah, I mean, is this second hand? Did he see a harem girl himself? I feel like he must have seen it like one time. Maybe they took him out to town in back town. Or I mean, we don't we don't know what other ports the filthy whore calls home. Yeah, because when I looked into belly dance, there was only loose connections to these harems, and you know, one of which is that the the costume, uh, the pants are called harem pants or a bedla. Um, bedla. So. I mean, could you just because there were a belly dancer is wearing harem pants, does that then make it a harem girl? Well, if I, I wore harem pants, would I be a harem girl? I'll Jasmine. call you whatever you whatever you want. <laughs> right, right. But not, <laughs> but de- definitely not bony-eared ass fish. <laughs> <laughs> so what we know of Kenny's experience, I think it is reasonable to assume that he is trying to do a belly dance. So uh, another shocking revelation, another connection that was made through researching this was that as I started to look into Harem Girl and all that, there was a lot of references to these Arabian Nights tales, Thousand and One Nights, Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp, and The Seven Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor, which, as we've already talked about, Cabin Boy was a loose parody of Captain's Courageous. But it was a mix of Captain's Courageous and the Seven Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor. And that's where there is a giant, where they get the idea for Mulligan. All that Hell's Bucket stuff is inspired by this Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor. So I'm wondering if, and there is a whole scene in that movie with belly dancers. So if this was no coincidence that they selected Andy to dance like a harem girl, but this was more foreshadowing, if you will, this idea of Sinbad, the sailor, and the seven voyages. I like that. Well, the, the Sinbad and the sailor, that's those are the old Ray Harryhausen movies, which were part of the inspiration for the look and the, the feel for the movie. Well, as well, did, did he perhaps see this harem girl in Hell's Bucket? It is possible. You think Kenny answered the three questions? <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. Well, He's so. charming. So enough of that silly gibberish. Should we yeah. talk about bullion? Please. All right. So bullion. Broth, stew, stock. Apparently many cooks and food writers use the terms broth and stock interchangeably. And in 1974, James Beard, famous chef man, wrote emphatically that stock, broth, and bouillon are all the same thing. They are, huh? Apparently. With uh, bouillon being a savory liquid made of water in which bones, meat, or vegetables have been simmered. A lot of the bouillon is uh, these bouillon cubes that they make. They're known to exist as early as 1735, and they were known as portable soup because it was Mm. just a little cube that you could drop into hot water and make a satisfying meal. But more so, the tradition of bouillon before bed. Yeah, I mean, he's asking for, give me some bouillon before I retire, meaning that this is this is likely something that he does often, that he can't uh, go to sleep without bouillon. So what I found there is that 
it's a common sleep aid, bone broth. People uh-huh. use bone broth to help them sleep. There were quite a few articles talking about people using bone bouillon in particular to aid in sleeping. Interesting. Could we make the argument that bouillon, loosely defined, could be a fancy word for chum? <laughs> it would not be the biggest stretch we've made on this podcast so far. Well, t- tell me how. I mean, we're talking, what's chum? It's it's water and fish bits. How is that any different? Because you're not cooking it down, I guess? Not cooking it. If you're, if, if, you you're if you cooked it, then yes. And you could say you're, if you cooked it and you strained the fish chunks out of the chum, then I think you could argue that you made chum bouillon. I mean, I, I'd give it to Kenny. He's not giving him uh, Drano. I mean, he's giving him something pretty close to bouillon. Again, going back to, you know, the initial presentation, your initial reaction to Kenny is that he's a complete idiot. But the leap from bouillon to chum is relatively close. He could have chosen something completely different, you know, come back with like a, you know, can of nuts or something like that. I mean, it says a cup of bouillon. Like if it could have been a, it could have been a cup of nails, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, could have, it could have been anything. It, it's pretty savvy of him to even think that it was some sort of soup-like thing. Hey, you know, a carp. Carps are clever fish. So they say. It's a clever cabin boy. So let's talk details. If we just back up, there's there's some additional details in the uh, in the captain's quarters. Uh, we see like the, more bathrobes. Yep, more bathrobes. <laughs> <laughs> Which we may have to switch Cappy's spirit clothing from yes. union suit to robe based on the <laughs> amount of robes in this room. It's got a lot of robes. So that bathroom we get a we get a shot of. There's mm-hmm. one one light uh, attached by a wire. There appears to be some a few toiletries kind of floating around the sink, although there's they're kind of nondescript. And yet again, uh, a robe hanging from the door. So then the details as we move into the galley, which uh, to continue to work on our filthy whore diagram, the galley, the kitchen is just outside the door to the right. You can even see the steps in the foreground of the shot. Uh, there's all kinds of little things. It was hard to make out details, but there's a bunch of canned goods. You know, there's things that look like they hold salad dressing, a jar of what I thought were maybe nuts or something like that. Uh, there's a big giant jar of pickles, one of those little uh, kind of mini brooms, a little brush for cleaning up, and then a scrub brush hanging as well. A whisk broom. There you go. Whisk broom. Uh, a couple lanterns. There's a, a fish-shaped bottle opener. There's a, a set of scales above that. Yes. What are they measuring? Spices? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are, are they taking that much detail into... Think of it as like limited ingredients, and you're trying to make it last for the duration of however long you're out at sea, right? So if you want to make sure that your spices or whatever it is that you have there last the whole time, you want to make sure that they're measured out appropriately. I mean, I guess my first comment is that... I, I don't see them taking this level of detail to measure things out like that. But that being said, the, the kitchen overall looks orderly and clean. It's disgusting, but it's orderly and clean, if that makes any sense. It's, it's dirty, but it's organized. Yeah, the dishes are done. There's not a bunch of dishes in the sink. Mm-hmm. The things are hanging from the from the little hooks well. there, So maybe they are taking that level of effort 
And who's doing the cooking? Is that is that Kenny? I guess so, because later Nathaniel's making the fish stick kitties, so I'm sure that's that's the cabin boy's responsibility. Yep. Kenny runs a tight ship, apparently. So we also have a jar of nuts, there's spices, there's what looks like ketchup bottles, there's dishes and strainers and bowls, all sorts of things to feed the fishermen on the wall to the right. There's rain gear, there's hats and what looks like a vest. There's some sort of electronic contraption that I thought might be a radio, but couldn't really tell. Big silver box with some wires coming out of it. Uh, There's a flashlight. And then the elephant in the room, the mug with the face on it, which I, I hear you have some uh, information for us. Yeah, so so this mug is known as a Toby-style mug. Uh, there's something known as a Toby jug, which is a, a pottery jug in the form of a seated person or the head of a recognizable person. So essentially the way it seemed that the, this was first made as like a jug, like a bigger thing. And then later, the iterations started to become these smaller, like, mug-shaped things. And the traditional Toby jug was of a heavy-set, jovial man wearing a tricorn hat. The actual Toby jug, developed by Staffordshire Potters in the 1760s. There's some debate over where the term Toby jug comes from but perhaps named after Sir Toby Belch in Shakespeare's play, Twelve Nights. There's also a 1949 film called Twelve O'Clock High, where a Toby jug in the shape of Robin Hood plays a pivotal role in that film. As well, which may be um, (laughs) if the Cabin Boy uh, Minute audience cares to uh, continue to contribute and support the podcast, uh, perhaps we can go on a trip to the American Toby Jug Museum, which is located in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, (laughs) but, But interestingly, these particular small head mugs According to the American Toby Jug Museum website, these character mugs were introduced in the 1930s. So again, your crack cabin boy research team perhaps inserting this here to give that 1930s shout out again. Could be. Did you know that chumming is American English from Powhatan, which is a extinct language belonging to the Eastern Algonquin subgroup of the Algonquin languages. Very interesting. Yeah. And then we end out with him, like you said, scooping the gross-looking chum out of the bin into the little cup. And then, you know, that doesn't appear to be a very well-sealed barrel, but I guess works well enough to keep the smell of chum out of the rest of the cabin. Or it doesn't, and they smell... <laughs> like that all the time it just spelled chum constantly <laughs> possible because he just he doesn't even rinse there's nothing there's no act to rinse off the ladle it's just like he ladles <laughs> it into the thing and then he just hangs it back up next to the clean dishes yep he's got that one little cup all right so the audio commentary uh, is an exchange about whether tim burton did it and how this would have changed the movie which is something that we like to talk about as well Mike Sachs asks, how do you think it would be different? And they just kind of laugh it over and just say that it would have been more user-friendly, there would have been more of a budget. Uh, Resnick shares that Elliot was 
written as unlikable in the script and that uh, apparently according to Elliot he delivers and uh, <laughs> an unlikable role so they kind of talk about those two pieces but so if I mean they're talking about the bigger budget if this was different so how would this minute be different if uh, Tim Burton was directing it's one of those things where I watch it and I don't really know how it would change I almost my, my reaction to thinking about that was that this was not for Tim Burton like it's occurring in some, in a, a structure that was built for Tim Burton, but this scene, this interaction, this is purely Resnick and Elliot. Yeah, I go back to the story about how Tim Burton got involved, right? And so Tim Burton sitting there watching Get a Life and this idea of a overgrown kid, more or less, in the house with his parents. So like that seed of an idea, how that would play out in maybe a movie. So then when it goes to pitching this this idea to him. I, I could see why he passed on it, I guess. It, not that he passed on it, but it, he, he didn't want to direct it. It was too alien of an idea for him to do something with. And at its heart, it was a Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick idea. Yes. You know, he appreciated the humor. He wanted to do something where he was working with them and wanted their type of comedy in something that he made. And it would have been interesting to see if there was more of a dialogue in terms of kind of his sense of humor and their sense of humor, how that might have come together. And there may be some other parts as we go along where it might be easier to identify that. But I feel like in this instance, this is pure just Resnick and Elliot. Like you could have taken an interaction like this and taken it out of the movie and put it in some other thing that they've created and it would you could still make it work. Right. And I guess it makes sense if that was their idea. Like, let's say that they went into that meeting and Tim came with the idea. We wouldn't have wound up with Cabin Boy, I guess. But overall, the question doesn't continue to hold up as we go through the movie because I don't think he ever would have made Cabin Boy. So, again, it's it's still that same question, you know, making it more palatable to the general public. Again, like, what's the point of the scene overall? The scene's funny. I love it. There's no point. It doesn't drive the movie forward. It's kind of a, a wasted minute. Now, if, if you want to make it more palatable to the general public, you take away the harem girl dance. But then you lose the best part of the scene. Who wins the scene? Kenny. Kenny. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. Kenny, Kenny. Said in, in particular, his little shudder he does after the harem dance. That's <laughs> yes. uh, the, the high point, I believe, of the minute. Uh, the whole thing just knocks it. His whole acting job throughout the scene knocks it out of the park. The quote, uh, nothing so liberates the heart as when a fool awakes from his folly. You know, I can almost always find something that hooks into the quote and... Being that this scene kind of, it just works as a random little bit. The <laughs> Kenny's dance looms so large over the greater scene that it's kind of hard to separate it and to link it back to the story and link it back to the quote. I had a tough time with this. What did what did you come up with, sir? Yeah, it, it was along the same lines of what we talked about with the last minute where he's just kind of still recreating this reality for himself you know his folly and believing that this is the ship and he's kind of plying those weaker than him to get what he wants you know he's he's bossing uh, andy around and telling him to to go get him bullion and but not really getting in the end what he actually wants because he's reconstructing 
this reality. So that's his folly. He's rewriting everything for himself and reinforcing his folly for himself. All right, so gags per minute. I had six. had smelling the blanket, dumb as a carp, the harem girl dance, thanks whatever that was, bullion, and then looking for the bullion, and then getting the chum. Okay. I had all of those with the exception of the blanket smell. So I had awards all around. So let's just call that synonymous with the blanket smell. We can call that that piece one. Sure. I added separately that shudder he does after the harem girl dance. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those, I I would like to give it five points for itself. But, you know, (laughs) you want to keep some some level of scientific accuracy here. Of course, we're rigorous here. I broke down further Nathaniel's comment of uh, enough of your silly gibberish. I gave another point to Andy's reactions when he's being pushed out the door. And then again, amidst the chum, Andy's reactions to the chum. So the chum itself as one joke, and then Andy's reactions to the chum as another. That puts me at 10. Puts me as ten. I mean, do, do you care to argue any way or include? I'm not, not going to argue. I mean, you could you could argue if you wanted all the you know combining the the whole harem girl dance scene with all those little intertwined parts. But I'm not going to put up a fight or anything. Like Kenny, you will just accept him and move yeah. along. Yep. All right, so I'm going to call it ten. And lastly, funny, not funny. 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 So, so funny. funny. Great scene. When you look up Cabin Boy. It's one of the first things that pops up, the harem girl dance. Yep. And saying that, I mean, I think at this point, the harem girl dance is where Cabin Boy kind of hits its stride. Agree. No, now we are we are now uh, moving into the full Cabin Boy experience. We are all Cabin Boys from this point <laughs> forward. Yes, we are. Will we become Cabin Men? Who knows? All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here for Cabin Boy Minute. This was Cabin Boy Minute 14. We will see you next week with Cabin Boy Minute 15. Take care. Adios. again for joining us on cabin boy minute please help spread the word tell your friends about us and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action details on how to support the pod or leave us a message or find us on twitter at at cabin boy minute we look forward to joining you again next week bon voyage